This is The Eclectic Joe, the podcast, 2023, episode 5. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. My name is Joe Torres. I'm your host for the Eclectic Joe, the podcast. This is our fifth fifth podcast. It goes by fast. So what's got me all riled up this week? On uh, last week, March 22nd of 2023, there was an article in the Dallas Morning News uh, about a former Texas governor, John Conley, taking a three-week trip to the Middle East back in 1980 during the Iran hostage crisis, where, according to Lieutenant Governor Ben Barnes, a protege of Governor Conley, Conley asked leaders to send word to Iran not to release the hostages before election day. The whole point of the article is with President Carter now in hospice, Mr. Barnes, who is 84 himself, feels the need to now speak out. Mr. Barnes believes President Carter was not going to win re-election as long as the hostage crisis was ongoing. So it got me thinking, and I'm going to come back to this, but it got me thinking, first of all, what, uh, what countries do we not have an embassy in? And so a little bit of research points out that the countries that we do not have an embassy in is uh, Bhutan, and I may not be pronouncing that correctly, Bhutan, B-H-U-T-A-N. It's a country between China and India. Uh, the closest embassy to this country is New Delhi. Uh, Iran, we never reopened our embassy after the Iran hostage crisis. Uh, The closest embassies to Tehran are uh, Ankara, Turkey, or Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates, or um, a city, the capital in Armenia. Yuri Wan, I believe, and again, probably not pronouncing that correctly. And finally, North Korea. Uh, the website lists Beijing, China is uh, an alternate embassy. And of course, there is Seoul, South Korea that we have an embassy in. So these are countries that uh, we do not even have diplomat- diplomatic relations with. Something I did learn as I'm looking into this for this podcast is that I always thought, and probably thanks to the TV show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland, which I loved, always thought that an embassy was considered United States soil, and that is not the case. Uh, It is a diplomatic extension of the United States, but if somebody 
invades the embassy, that's not like invading Washington, D.C. or Dallas, Texas or Lincoln, Nebraska. A little bit different, a lot different, actually. Now, uh, just as a side note, there are countries that we have diplomat diplomatic relationships with, but we do not have an embassy with. Uh, one such entity is the, the Caribbean Islands, or Caribbean Islands, however you'd like to call them. Uh, Bridgetown, Barbados is the closest emb embassy there. Uh, Gunica, it's an Asian, Asian one, uh, <laughs> Asian island. Closest one is in Senegal. Another thing that I did not realize, I thought if, uh, since you're an American citizen and this is a United States embassy that you could walk in any time and get some business transacted or something done that you needed done. Turns out uh, you do need an appointment and I did not know that. So if you're in another country and you need to go to the embassy, Probably best not to walk in unless uh, would it, unless it's an emergency, obviously, but probably best not to walk in, best to make an appointment. Then I wondered, what is the difference between an embassy and a consulate? And I found out embassies are in capitals, consulates, consulates are in cities that are not capitals. So something else I did not know. And just because I'm a history buff, I wondered, uh, about the first United States Embassy, and where was it, and when did it, when was it created? Turns out the first U.S. Embassy was a house that John Adams purchased uh, in The Hague back in 1796 in the Netherlands. But the first diplomatic property on foreign foreign soil is in Morocco, and that building, by the way, is the only U.S. National Historic Landmark not in the United States, and that came about in 1797. So President Washington was elected president in 1790, and uh, the, end, uh, the end of his second term, basically, we started establishing embassies all around the world. Uh, Morocco was the first. They were most friendly to us as a beginning nation. And so therefore we established some kind of diplomatic presence in their country and they were, they were fine with that. Which back then when we, were, we were nobody, there weren't a lot of countries opening their arms to the United States of America, formerly the 13 colonies. So let's fast forward to the fall of 1978. And Iran is having a lot of turmoil in their government. They're uh, having demonstrations. Demonstrations are beginning. The people there want change. Uh, basically, it's a not basically. It is a revolution. And but the the right and the left over there. The one thing they could agree on was that uh, they hated the United States, hated our presence in their country. Therefore, they hated the embassy. So Valentine's Day, 1979. The embassies attacked and briefly occupied. And in response to that, the staff, before these demonstrations began, the staff was over 1,400. And now, after this revolution started, they cut it down to about 70 people. Pretty dramatic. So eight months later, in October 1979, their former leader, the Shah of Iran, who uh, they have thrown out of the country, they have... Um, it basically said, we don't want your services anymore, even though he'd been shot for 
many, many years, he arrives in the U.S. for medical treatment. And that was on October 22nd. He's in New York City. The Iranian prime minister had guaranteed the United States the safety of the embassy and the staff. Unfortunately, that guarantee lasted two weeks. On November 4th, 1979, the embassy is attacked. 63 Americans are taken hostage. President Carter's representatives, President Carter was obviously in office at the time, his representatives tried to negotiate a release the next, the next few days afterwards, but got nowhere. Uh, former Attorney General by the name of Ramsey Clark he had a delegation that went to try and negotiate, but he was even refused entrance into Iran. So this is not looking good. Uh, and it's not, it's not common for a country to impose their will on the United States, uh, as it were, but to take these hostages uh, and not negotiate is uh, not looking good for the, for the United States. So in Iran now, you have the left and the right. They're in a, in a political stalemate. And unfortunately for those hostages, they're stuck in the middle. So the prime minister that had guaranteed the embassy staff's safety, he resigns two days after the attack on the embassy. But any negotiation now included the demand from Iran that the Shah, also known as King Shah, be returned. Well, that, that would be most likely a, an immediate death sentence for him. He had, been, he had been friendly over the years, and this is not the podcast to recount his political history as the leader of Iran, but safe to say, since he's in New York City and there's a country that wants him returned, safe to say he's been friendly to the United States over the years and the United States is not going to give him back. <laughs> uh, he, the Shah, ends up passing away the next July in Cairo, Egypt. He had actually been uh, diagnosed with leukemia in 1974 and had been battling that for six years. And so I'm sure physically he was really in no position to fight, a, fight off a revo revolution. But he had, been in, uh, he had been Shah since 1941, quite a long time. So in response, what did the U.S. do, you ask? So in response to having our citizens taken hostage, the U.S. stops buying oil from Iran, as well as uh, freezing of assets, of billions of dollars of assets, Iranian assets here in the United States. So this all started November 4th. 13 days later, November 17th, the Ayatollah, he releases 13 hostages, all women or African-Americans, because he did not consider them to be, he considered them to be unlikely spies. So off they go, they have been released. So now we're down to about 50. So you now, be, you may, you now may be asking yourself, why didn't we try and get the hostages out ourselves? 
instead of negotiating. They are our citizens being held against their will. The answer is that we did. April 24th, 1980, which is more than five months after the hostages were captured, Operation Eagle Claw was put into motion. This was to be a coordinated effort between the Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines. Stop right there. That in itself makes it scary. Four different entities that don't necessarily like each other. We know the Marines can't stand the Navy. They only look at the Navy as a place for, as, a, as an entity for them to get where they need to go on, on the ships of the Navy, but uh, there's no love lost there. So we're going to try and coordinate a rescue effort between these four entities. So there has to be coordination, obviously, and there are so many moving parts to this plan that in retrospect, the mission was probably doomed before it even started. The final blow was when eight helicopters left the carrier USS Nimitz, where almost immediately, immediately two experienced mechanical failure have to go back. So now we're down to six. The remaining six land at the landing zone 90 minutes late, and then when they got there, it was determined that one of those helicopters was not usable. So now we're down to five. Well, the powers to be determined that this mission of rescuing these hostages from Tehran could not be completed with five helicopters. They needed more than that. Now, as I, as I sit here and looked at this, it did make me wonder. So the Nimitz is a pretty big carrier. I find it hard to believe that they only had six of whatever helicopter it is. And I, I, SBH, I can't remember what it was. But whatever the model of the helicopter was, I find it hard to believe there were only six on the, the Nimitz. Even, even still, if there weren't any more of that model, surely they had something else they could substitute with. Um, but they didn't. And, I mean, it, this is becoming a real cluster mess up. <laughs> so, unfortunately, as they were leaving the landing zone, a helicopter, one of the five remaining helicopters, collided with a cargo, cargo plane C-130. They both exploded, and it kills five Air Force personnel and three Marines. This is bad, obviously. But making it even worse, if that's even possible, was the fact that we left in such a hurry that behind in the landing zone were, was equipment, weapons, maps, and most importantly, the bodies of the eight servicemen. And these bodies would later be recovered by the Iranians and paraded through the streets of Tehran in front of the cameras. A great propaganda coup for the Iranians. Look what we've gotten and look look at the U, look at the US, the ineptitude of the US. So um, 
even the Ayatollah had said that God was protecting Iran and that he put uh, uh, sand around the country and that's why the helicopters couldn't, couldn't make it to Tehran. As, a, as part of the fallout, uh, Secretary of State Cyrus Vance resigned. He, by the way, was opposed to the operation all along. As you could imagine, after this, the negotiations came to a screeching halt. And worse yet, the hostages were now scattered all over Tehran. And for a while, we don't know where they all are. Now, if you're a half half full kind of person, a couple good things came out of this military debacle that are with us today. The first is that the military drastically changed the way it conducted operations containing multiple uh, branches of the military. And I think uh, an offshoot of that is it's safe to say our special operations units were uh, given a little more consideration the tension, uh, review, etc. The other good thing that came out of it is that SEAL Team 6 was created in November of 1980, so about six, seven months after the uh, Operation Eagle Claw debacle, we had SEAL Team 6 created, and they're still around, and uh, they've done some really good things, especially, especially lately. But what's strange about our military debacle, if you will, is that uh, February of 1979, so that would have been about uh, about a year and three months earlier, uh, Ross Perot took a he, he assembled a team and took a team, t got into Tehran, he rescued two of his EDS employees who had been arrested uh, in December of 1978. And he was able to successfully get them out of jail as well as out of the country. Now, I do understand trying to get two people freed and out of the country is a lot easier than 53 or so. But still, here's a private citizen that was able to gather the resources, gather the intelligence, coordinate everything, and get it done. And he actually was part of the operation himself. He made it to Tehran, made it into Tehran, posing as a uh, somebody that worked for NBC TV. So here Ross Perot can get his two people out in February of 1979, but in April of 1980, our mighty American military unable to pull off a, a similar exercise. Just as an aside, and the numbers will back me up on it, and this is not a political statement or a commentary, but generally speaking, Democrat, Democratic presidents are not favorable to the military. Republican presidents are. And I, I say in terms of budget dollars allotted. Uh, and I'm going to butcher this quote from Ronald Reagan, but the gist of it is that... Uh, Nobody has ever attacked us when we were strong. And I, I truly believe there is something to that. And so it may not be fair to pin this operation failure on the military, but because the reality at that time was that the military, United States military, wasn't as strong as it had been before. Also keep in mind, this is 1979-1980. We really aren't too far, far removed from the fiasco that was Vietnam. 
we left Vietnam in 1972, I believe. That war ended in Vietnam in 75 with South Vietnam collapsing, and now it's just Vietnam. And the capital of Vietnam is Ho Chi Minh City. But that was not, uh, uh, that was not our most successful military engagement. Um, and that was most likely because of political restraints that were, were put on the military. Uh, my last podcast was about step-parents. Uh, my stepfather, the uh, one that Linda married, he, he fought in Vietnam. And he would always say he didn't understand how we lost that war when we didn't lose a battle. And I've looked it up, and I think he's right. I can't find an engagement with either the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong. I can't find a, an engagement that shows that we lost that engagement. Again, if we lost, maybe it's been stricken from the record book, which history book, which we're doing a lot, a lot of other things with that now. So uh, I don't know. But I always thought that was interesting that he, he pointed that out. So the point is, though, that the country was not so pro-military back in 1979 and 80. Uh, they still, the, the, the wounds of Vietnam, the scars are still pretty fresh. And so the military didn't quite have the respect that it had had, say, after the soldiers came back from World War II. So this was April 1980. The... Uh, rescue effort that failed. Um, if you were around back then, this was the beginning of the TV show, ABC TV show Nightline with host Ted Koppel. And uh, back then, every night, it was a Monday through Friday, 10.30 p.m. Central Time show. But every night, that would be the lead story. And every night, they would start with the day number, uh, you know, hostage crisis day number 222. The next night, it'd be day number 223. This thing uh, went a total of 444 days. That's obviously over a year, uh, day after day after day after day. And uh, I, I made note of it in my diary a couple of times. It, it it dragged on, and no one knew when or if we were going to get these folks out of Iran. Uh, it, nobody knew, and the, the, the failed operation sure didn't help the psyche of the country. And it, it, there's some frustration, obviously, that's setting in. But there are going to be a couple of events that uh, kind of help move this stalemate a little bit, and it, it's really from the uh, Iranian side. The middle, uh, in, in the middle of August 1980, fin uh, Iran finally installs its new government. So we don't have revolutionaries in control anymore. It's an actual formal, formal government, which was probably more receptive to diplomatic overtures than uh, a bunch of revolutionaries. Then a month later, September 22nd, 1980, Iraq invades Iran. And also uh, around the same time, actually, I'm sorry, the next month in October at a United Nations meeting in New York City, uh, several leaders uh, around the world told the Iranian prime minister that was there that as long as the uh, hostages were there, there would be no, no support for Iran. 
against Iraq. So Iran's looking at uh, oil revenue that's lost from the U.S., freezing of Iranian assets in the U.S., and now uh, economic embargo uh, for many countries around the world that did this, not just the United States. Uh, it's, put, it's putting Iran uh, in, a, in, a bad, in a bad way. Um, their, their economy is beginning to struggle, and now they're having to fight off their neighbor, Iraq, who's invaded them. So the hostages are not uh, at the top of their mind now anymore. They've got bigger fish to fry. So as a result, uh, negotiations were resumed for the hostage release. But even then, even then, only through using Algerian diplomats as intermediary, intermediaries did the negotiations resume. Iranian representatives would not sit down with American representatives to negotiate. The hostages are eventually released on January 20th, 1981, actually not too long after President Reagan was inaugurated. Now back to Ben Barnes and his coming clean, so to speak. Uh, I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart. You've heard me say that before. Love a good conspiracy. And in his camp, what supports his theory that the uh, hostages were uh, not to be released until after President Reagan was elected or sworn in, the fact that it happened that day, that, that adds credence to it. But uh, it's clear Iran hated us, and they still do, by the way. So based on that, are we to believe that their government is going to listen to somebody, not appointed by the president, but listen to somebody to say, okay, we won't release these hostages until after you had, you've had your presidential election. I mean, these are, these are militants. Uh, I mean, these are extremists. Again, these are people that hate the United States. And oh, by the way, according to Wikipedia, the building that was that housed the embassy in Tehran. It has a number of anti-American murals commissioned by the Iranian government, as well as part of the embassy is uh, an anti-American museum, which would might be interesting to see, just to see how much they hate us. And oh, by the way, in the Wikipedia page, it shows a picture of the, a rotor that was taken from one of the downed helicopters They've got it as, as like a trophy in, in, the, in the embassy. So I say all that to say, are we to believe that a former Texas governor goes to the Middle East, meets with leaders, and says to the leaders to tell the Iranians, oh, by the way, wait and release the hostages until after the election. And Iran did that. Ugh. I just, I don't, I just have a hard time swallowing that one. Uh, Britannica.com also agrees with me uh, the, that it, it's been addressed and been dismissed. So um, it just, again, it just, it just would amaze me if, if that was the case. And it, it does 
I do wonder about why he's deciding after this amount of time to come clean about it. But in any event, again, looking at the numbers, the economic numbers, let's go back to 1978, just a couple, a couple measurables. Minimum, minimum wage in 1978 was $2.65. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was 838, eight, excuse me, 831.17. That was on January 1st of 1978. Minimum wage, 265. Dow Jones, 831. You paid 63 cents for a gallon of gasoline. So that's in 1978. President Carter got elected in 76. So we're about halfway through his uh, presidency, his first term as president. Fast forward to January 1st of 1980, two years later. The minimum wage has gone up to $3.10, depending on what side of the aisle you're on. That's either a good thing or that's a bad thing because now business owners are having to scramble to figure out how to make up the difference uh, in that. I mean, that's $0.45 cents an hour. That's not insignificant. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went from 831.17 on January 1st, 1978 to 838.74 on January 1st, 1980. For those of you keeping score at home, that's, I'm rounding up to get to a 1% increase. That's in two years is not very good. Now again, better than being a 1% decrease, but not, not, uh, we're, not, we're not setting the world on fire with the Dow Jones Industrial Average going up 1% in two years. But this last one is, to me, most telling. Uh, 63 cents for a gallon of gasoline in 1978. That went up to $1.19 in 1980. That's almost double in two years. So I believe the hostage situation certainly did not help President, then President Carter's run for re-election. Uh, I feel pretty confident it did not help. But I don't think that was the only reason why he did not get reelected. People, it's a cliche, but cliches become cliches for a reason because they have some truth to them. People usually vote with their pocketbook. And if uh, I, I was young back then, but if I'm, if I'm having to drive to work every day instead of going to school like I was doing, and I'm not paying almost double for a gallon of gasoline, and I didn't even I didn't even look at the inflation rate back then, but I can almost guarantee it's going to be high. So the numbers did not reflect well on President Carter's economic policies. You have President Reagan coming in with a platform that he's going to make changes and cut taxes, and uh, it's going to be a capitalistic system and return to capitalism and a market-driven economy and things like that. And I think uh, that that helped him win election. If he knew about the Governor Conley representing him saying to delay the election, I, I'm disappointed, I would be disappointed to know that. Unfortunately, other than Ben Barnes, all these people are not with us anymore, so we will never know. But that, that is disappointing, if, if it's true. But as I said earlier, even if, even if it is true, even if it is true, Iran's not going to listen to us back then. They don't listen to us now. They're still going forward with their nuclear program, even though we've, the United Nations, of all people, have, have told them not to do that. They're still doing it. 
So they're still, they are still a threat. Um, North Korea is still a threat. And China is still a threat. And China may be the biggest threat there is just because there's so many of them. And we seem to be slow to react to that. But that's another, another uh, episode for another podcast. So uh, this is a little bit shorter podcast, I know. But I just thought it was interesting to look back at that Iranian hostage crisis and just to see how it unfolded and how we were very bluntly impotent to do anything about it. And nothing happened until after, yes, nothing happened until after the election. But uh, as, as President Reagan would show, he was pro-military. He would build up the military. And so I think it's safe to go back in time and say, okay, had he had he taken over, which he did, and had he had that situation still been ongoing, I think he would have handled it. Uh, the negotiations probably would have not dragged out as long as they had under President Carter. He, I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. I have a feeling he would have taken some more, some more direct action. The other thing, the last thing you have to keep in mind also is that uh, the USSR is still, the Cold War is still going on, and they are still a threat to us, and their army is not shrinking, it's growing, and you don't grow an army to keep the peace, you grow it normally to attack, and oh, by the way, on uh, December 24th of 1980, uh, they invade Afghanistan. And that got them into a whole whole mess. But the point is that they were still a, a military threat to us, as they still are, but they were even more so back then. So that's all I've got to say about that. If you have any questions or comments, hit me up. I'm at Twitter, at The Eclectic Joe. It's also where I have an Instagram account. Or you can email me at The Eclectic Joe at gmail.com So until next time stay safe everybody